Whistleblower Report, exposing lies, deceptions, and all that has assaulted our way of life. We must take back our freedom and live as God designed in a free America that honors our Constitution and our Creator. Our experts in medicine, ministry, law, military, environment, and education empower us to grow together as a nation. such a time as this, the Whistleblower Report offers truth and solutions. Welcome to the Vaccine Report. This is Dr. Lee for America with our Truth for Health Foundation Whistleblower Report here on America Out Loud Talk Radio and at our on-demand whistleblowerreports.org and Cloud Hub, Rumble, and all the podcasts globally. Today, Dr. Mike Eden and I will be talking about the WHO desperate for passage of this international health regulatory agreement. Some call it a, quote, treaty, end quote. Some call it an agreement. But the bottom line it is, is that it is a tyrannical takeover of every aspect of our life by an organization of unelected bureaucrats led by a Marxist dictator who has no medical experience, no scientific training, and is dictating public health response globally for every country in the world, every human being, every ethnic group, and the One Health program, the WHO is unleashing, if this goes through, is forcing their One Health priorities and tyrannical control on all life, all humanity, all plant life, all animal life, and the climate. They can even use, quote, a climate emergency, end quote, and that is said with sarcasm in case that wasn't clear, but they can use climate change, global warming, climate emergency, whatever buzzwords they want to come up with, they can use that as a justification for taking people into quarantine camps on the suspicion of infectious diseases or climate emergencies It doesn't really matter. You don't even have to prove it. Just suspected, just a declaration. America and the world, this is chilling. You must wake up and speak up and get involved to stop this tyrannical takeover. The power of the people is greater than the power of these elite bureaucrats, big tech, And the financial elites, big government, big pharma, all of the people that are trying to control us, there are more of us than there are of them. And we, the people, can just say no. Dr. Yeadon is living under some of this tyranny. Uh, Dr. Lee, good to be with you again. Yes, um, here in Canterbury in Kent in southern England, uh, I'm in uh, one of the uh, 
pilot cities for uh, this 15-minute city treatment. The other one is Oxford, near famous uh, academic center. Um, but actually now I've looked around about, it seems to me about half of the local councils. So the um, here in England, the administration uh, is at county and then city level. And then, of course, there's central government in Westminster and London. And it seems that about half of the councils have signed up um, to this 15-minute city concept. Um, on another occasion, maybe we could talk about the even higher level than that that I'd never heard of, but I, it's funny. As soon as you start reading up, you find it's all there. There's something called, I think they're called the C40 Cities uh, Initiative. It's been going for years. Again, it's under the UN. Um, and the 15-minute city is, is just, as it were, the, the reduction to practice, the, the operationalization of increasing restrictions. So we should maybe, we'll come back to the WHO in a moment because that's, it's so large, it's overhead, it's national, it's international. But I can tell you this, the 15 minute city idea in principle is this, that there are automatic number plate recognizing cameras, ANPR cameras on every road in and out of the city. So if you drive your car in or out of the city, the computer will recognize your vehicle and apparently we will be, quote, allowed to travel on those highways a grand total of 100 times a year. So that might mean on if you Monday morning you drove out of the city to go to your workplace somewhere else and in the evening come back, that's your, that's your allowance. You can't use your car again uh, for another week. Well, lots of people will do lots of short errands to see relatives or friends um, or deliver things, go shopping. No, you won't be allowed to do that. And the way I can tell you in a heartbeat that this is nothing to do with the global warming lie, but nothing to do with global warming is even if you own an electric car, you still can't move more than 100 movements a year. Um, even if you have a tiny little motorcycle with an economical engine, you still can't do more than 100 a year. So, and there will be other restrictions, but that's that's the one that I, I am most conscious of. Um, and I've even started thinking about you know, I don't accept these laws. These are ridiculous. Um, so I'm thinking, can I have fake number plates? I bet there'll be a roaring trade in fake number plates. How about um, dirtying my number plate so it doesn't show up properly on the camera? How about leaving another vehicle that I legitimately own just outside the city limit so I can cycle to it and then drive away? These are the kind of things ordinary people like me are thinking of because, of course, I'm not I'm not willing to be restricted, and yet. Uh, I, just, I don't sense enough resistance from most people. And I think when I've spoken to them in the streets, they say a few things. They say, it'll never happen here. It's a democracy. Uh, or um, as soon as they realize the degree of, of opposition to it, then they'll pull it down. And I, I've said, I don't think either of those things are true anymore. But, you know, well, that's what the, the, it, it, it is truly uh, staggering that, when you are dealing with people that drive to get to work mm. to earn a living for the basics of life, and you're saying out of 365 days, you can have 100 movements, 100 and movements. Two, yeah. two of them are one trip to and from work, and then yeah. you can't use your car the rest of the week. I mean, that that is who in the world do these people think they are 
that they can tell all human beings how they can move around in their day-to-day life. I mean, this is absolutely appalling. And when you say that people are so naive, they think it can't happen here. It already Mm. happened in COVID. We spent three years living under it. You'd think they would be aware that we just came through massive totalitarian control under the guise of public health. And to say that, oh, it can't happen because we live in a democracy. Well, I hate to tell you, but that's what a democracy is. It's mob rule. 51% get to decide what the other 49% do. And right now we have 51% of the legislators, the city council, as you just Mm -hmm. talked about, and the global elites, when you put all that together, and then the people who are not paying attention or who are dependent on the government handouts, we have the 51% that is mob rule, that is a democracy. And that was what our founders in America warned against. That's why We've never been a democracy. We've Mm -hmm. been a constitutional republic with checks and balances to protect the interests of the minority. Yeah, I wish I did too. I I wish I did too. um, Democracies, it it only works provided really citizens pay attention to what's going on. And if because if they don't, you describe very elegantly how how money uh, and various incentives can be used to to tilt people's choices uh, in a direction that, that suits a, a, a so-called self-appointed elite minority for purposes that they understand that nobody else who's not paying attention um, w- would notice. And then suddenly you have these restrictions on cars. And But of course, uh, people tend to look at it, Lee, Dr. Lee, they, they think, well, 100 times a year, you know, it's not enough, etc. And I've said that it could be 50 the year after. Um, the goal the goal, ladies and gentlemen, under the United Nations 2030 plan, which you can find online, you should please go and do so, and look at their SDGs, Sustainable Development Goals. If you look at them, you will find that by the year 2030, the intention is ordinary people like you and me will not own private transport anymore. So this is a way of getting you used to the idea that mm, you you actually don't, you live in a community and you don't have a right to move around, not from it or within it, using your own private transport. So that, that's really what they're aiming at, Dr. Lee. It's a, it's a, it's a way station from uh, laissez-faire, where provided your vehicle is licensed and safe and you can gas it up, you can go wherever you like at two in the morning. You know, um, I would say when I was a young man and had a motorcycle and very little else in my life, one of my great pleasures sometimes was getting up before it was light. And I would bike to somewhere where I knew the sunrise was good and just commune for an hour. Uh, you wouldn't be able to do that. Be one of your hundred movements. So, uh, yeah, I, 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 te- I have to try and tell people that their intention is that you will not have private transport by 2030. I don't understand why people are having a hard time believing that when you look at the degree of control they exerted over every aspect of our life for the last three years under the declared COVID pandemic emergency. They used the legal framework of 
the WHO International Health Regulatory Agreement from 2005 Mm -hmm. and used that as a way to control people moving towards the UN Agenda 2030. Yeah, they did. They certainly did. I, I, I mean, I don't know. Each person's psychology is, is their own. But um, I think some people wave this stuff away. It's like, mm, COVID's passed. You know, why are you bringing this stuff up? You know, you're, uh, you're creating worries unnecessarily. We just want to get on with our lives. Not understandable enough. Um, so I think quite a lot of people that they it's quite fright it's very frightening. So they would rather not engage on this topic. Um, and I don't, I don't really know how to overcome that, other than tell people <laughs> again that the fact that you were not paying attention does does not make it. It hasn't made it go away. It's not like a child who's frightened of monsters can like put pull their blanket over their head and everything will be okay. I'm seeing that kind of behavior in adults, you know, that they're just in denial that uh, there are a group of people who who are, you know, uh, it's an extraordinarily evil agenda. If you think about uh, wanting to take people's freedom to just be and move around from them on a permanent basis, uh, and I'm afraid that uh, I'm afraid I think I know why they want to do that. It's not just a matter of restricting you that the the goal ultimately is to kill um, the majority of people and first get used to uh, following orders from on high and then next you can't move around and then next I mean really you can eat the bugs if you allow if we allow we should talk about this if we allow digital ID uh, and central bank digital currencies to come in you know you, you will be doing exactly what you are told it doesn't matter if you've got a gun doesn't matter what you think uh, I, I we should go on to that because that those those two things are moving um, along with this leg of uh, tyrannical pillar, as it were, as the uh, the WHO treaty that will cede to the WHO this bizarre, ridiculous idea that they they in their uh, Swiss um, HQ can decide what's going on in the world and instruct a sovereign, a formerly sovereign nation. Uh, to restrict its citizens in lots of ways. That's that's the meaning of this. That's the that is the implication of this WHO treaty. And then, it is. It absolutely yeah. is. And I think we should talk about the three pillars mm. of total control. Yeah. You named the digital ID and the central bank digital currency, so that they control your money and can just cut it off so that you can only buy things that the elites approve. Yeah. And the third and pillar I is, think the, is the... I think it's vaccine. the treaty itself. I think it's the WHO treaty because uh, that that then takes away from your representatives or from the government to whom you could appeal. Uh, they'd say, well, it's not us anymore. It's, you know, it's WHO. So um, if, you, if you think about it, the digital ID and the central bank digital currencies... If if a vendor refuses to serve you, they'll be able to say, it's not me, sir, it's the computer. It literally will not grant permission for this transaction. And I think the WHO treaty, similarly, if you went to your member of parliament, your, your senator, they'd say, it's not me. It's unfortunately, it's this treaty. Well, so, I think that's exactly right, which is why people have to stand and resist the treaty. But the three aspects of the treaty are 
the vaccine passport, vaccine forced vaccination and a vaccine passport tied to the digital currency, tied to the digital ID, which then Uh allows the WHO under this treaty that they are pushing all countries to adopt. It allows them to have this totalitarian control. And yes, I think you're right. The elected representatives are such cowardly individuals that they and many of them have been bribed and many Mm -hmm. of them have financial interest in some of these coming um, control mechanisms. But the point is that they they are setting exactly what you said, plausible deniability by the elected representative. Oh, it's not me. You know, it reminds you of the kid who says, oh, no, I didn't hit Billy. He did it. Exactly. I didn't break the window, whatever, whatever it is. Yeah, you right. Right. The, the touch point, actually. Um, yeah. So under the WHO treaty, there are, they would have a number of powers. Uh, and they're not just if there's a pandemic. Uh, it, apparently, it's even if, there's, if there is um, a concern that there might be some public health emergency. So, well, guess what? There, there can be a concern. They can invent a concern. At any time, at all times, and I suspect, I suspect, once it's been going, we will permanently be under an alleged crisis permanently because we've given them the power to to uh, to use the the uh, these measures that they have. If, in their sole discretion, there is a pandemic or some other emergency or the, a concern for one, that's always so. But let me just, if I may. Um, explain why I'm not just a, I'm not just an anti-bureaucrat because some people might say well you know perhaps you know perhaps you don't mind uh, uh, diseases ravaging the world Dr. Eden, but we do and I'd, let me just point out that if there's a if there genuinely is a new public health emergency say a pandemic I have problems with them but let's just let's just go with the flow new a new pathogen sweep allegedly sweeping across the world do you think the WHO knows how to handle this if if you say yes you know for goodness sake why would you say that it's a novel situation they don't know either what's the best thing to do and i'm not i wouldn't know either but human beings through the ages have got a wonderful system for solving problems like this and it's called lots and lots of individual units people families communities countries doing the the thing that they think is best and then what you do is ensure that there's good communication with your neighbours, whether it's in your street, your city, your neighbouring cities, and so on, the neighbouring countries. And after a short period of time, days, weeks, in the case of a pandemic, no longer, you'd know what works best. And the answer might be, don't do anything, um, because the only people it's a threat to are the people who are very close to death. They're already moribund or even in hospital. So why you don't need to lock down. Um, well, that was the case for COVID. Well, it was exactly. That's my, my, my exact point. But here's the point, Dr. Lee, that if there is, let's say this SARS-CoV-3 next year, what do you think they're going to do? I know what they're going to do. They're going to shout lockdown. The media will shout lockdown. Your government shout lockdown and the police will lock you down. Now, now, if you come out, they will arrest you. If you insist on coming out, I suspect they'd intern you. It's that bad. Um, uh, but but back, back to my point, they 
it's a, it's a ridiculous notion that um, the cleverest person in the world who had the most benign intentions in the world, uh, if they were running the WHO, would put their hands up and say, under a new situation, there's no way I could know what's the best thing to do for, you know, for Boston or Bhutan or Birmingham. There's no possible way, is there? Because it's a novel situation. The only way you know what works is by empirical or experimental uh, trials. You're, you, and we do this in a, in a democracy or, or a constitutional republic. You, you work out what, what you can tolerate. There's always a trade-off, right? Um, and I, I would say loss of other people's freedoms is never uh, the right trade-off uh, on the grounds that it might save someone else, some other remote person's life. If they are concerned for their life, they should stay at home, don't you think? Why do you need to lock me down? Uh, how, you know, uh, um, and also numerous objections. For example, if I, don't, if I do not have symptoms, I can't be infecting other people. That was a complete lie that they told you, this idea of asymptomatic transmission. I think it was the And they central, later admitted that. Exactly. It was the central powerful lie of the of the quotes pandemic uh, that, era that was used to instill terror yeah, it was they actually anyone, ran anyone a terror campaign that was more damaging than the virus absolutely right absolutely right and, and in and in practice human immunology the, the ability to defend defend ourselves from infections you know whether you believe it's nature and evolution or or the creator and design doesn't really matter. The description is is this: that fit, healthy people with good diets who expose themselves to the outside air are very able to cope with almost every infectious insult that might come their way. Uh, and so, you know, if this if they tell you there's a pig flu or a chicken flu or whatever it is, bird flu, you know, um, if you're healthy. Uh, of work, I would say, of working age and, and healthy, you do not need to worry about these things. The, the history of the last 10 alleged you know, epidemics or pandemics is that the people who died are the ones who are really very close to death, in the, probably in the last year of life. Uh, and, and these poor people, uh, all of us eventually, the end comes, and uh, the older and sicker you get, the less resilient you are to, to a health challenge. We know that. Um, but if you're younger, you might get flu or a cold, but you're not going to die. And so why would you need to develop an international legal framework to cope for it with a situation that does not occur? I don't believe that severe respiratory illness pandemics are even possible. Isn't it wonderful how God and nature have worked this out? So here, here's the reason that if you've got a really serious respiratory transmitted disease like say flying Ebola um, these very serious illnesses make you sick so quickly you involuntarily lock down you involuntarily withdraw from circulation you are ill um, and so transmission is automatically attenuated if not terminated whereas well you're too sick to move around you're, you're right. too sick to move around and so isn't that amazing Dr Lee that this, this is the design of our bodies, that, that things that are the biggest threat to the whole community, as soon as they affect a few people, those people go to their beds and it stops. It's clever. It's wonderful. Well, absolutely. And that's the whole concept of resilience, 
of an animal or a human population, the individual variation, both genetics, epigenetics, environmental factors, nutritional factors, stress factors, all of these factors go into the individual differences. Even the worst uh, you know, flu pandemics, the, the number of people who died, what, they were not unusual because flu-like illnesses are really quite a common cause of, of death. And it says more about the, the state of an aged person. You know, I'm 63. If I was 83, and especially if I had a couple of comorbidities, you know, maybe I don't, but if I had a heart disease and diabetes, it really wouldn't take much extra um, you know, perhaps a respiratory infection, and I could die. It, and my father was a physician, and he used to call it um, the old man's friend. You know, he said, there's George, he's you know, 75, he's cutting his yard. Uh, and then a couple of weeks later, you hear that he's not well and he's taken to his bed, and a week later, the poor guy's died. But is that a terrible end to your life? I would, I would want such an end to my life, to be fit and well until the last few weeks. And then because I'm no longer resilient then I'm susceptible to some acute event. It's that your children are not susceptible. You are not susceptible. Uh, if you don't have symptoms, go and hug people. Uh, go to your church, you know, go to your work. They're lying to you. And, and you put it right earlier, you said it right earlier, Lee, when you said they ran a terror campaign. They frightened people to death. Um, uh, and you know, I remember some of those adverts they, in Britain they had a picture of somebody, you know, looking ill and squinting over a mask. And the strap line was, act like you've got it. That was the exhortation, act like you've got it. And there was these terrorized eyes from a poster. And I remember thinking, this is just crazy that why would you act like you've got it? If you haven't got it, you'll be symptom free. <laughs> it's that simple. Um, well, and that's exactly right. And the thing is, and we let's talk a little bit more about this in the second half, but I want to just lay the groundwork, the, the, the foundation, because if you are wearing a mask all day, you actually are diminishing the oxygenation of your body and increasing carbon dioxide, which creates more of an inflammatory environment for your body that makes you more susceptible to viral illnesses and you are rebreathing the same air and the same bacteria that you're exhaling from your nose and mouth into the mask and then breathing it back into your lungs all the way around. None of it made any sense, medical sense. It didn't make common sense. And, and it certainly didn't fit with the way we've ever managed anything medically before. Let's take a break here and come back in the second half and talk more about some of these total nonsensical, absolutely flagrantly false handling of the COVID epidemic and why that was so important as we look at this WHO treaty. This is Dr. Lee for America with the Whistleblower Report from Truth for Health Foundation. This is the Vaccine Report, and we will be right back after the break. Check out our website, www.truthforhealth.org. Download our Vaccine Injury Treatment Guide. Download our COVID Treatment Guide and all of our fact sheets on what's coming with the next pandemic and how you can prepare for it. We will be right back after the break. 
This message is from the Truth for Health Foundation. Hi, I'm Dr. Sam Sigloff, a family medicine physician and a major in the U.S. Army. The following are only my opinions. Service members are being coerced to participate in medical experimentation, with over 7,500 service members being discharged for refusing to participate. Many of them have lost their retirement and medical benefits. There are allegations that the DOD is committing medical fraud, violating the Religious Freedom Restoration Act, and violating the constitutional rights of service members. Strong men and women stand ready to defend so that you can sleep peacefully through the night. Now we must stand watch over the military so they can sleep peacefully through the night. Please get involved to help protect the military. This message brought to you by the Truth For Health Foundation. For more information, please visit truthforhealth.org. That is truthforhealth.org. Truth, the word for, health.org. Welcome back to the second half of the Whistleblower Report. This is Dr. Lee for America with Dr. Mike Eden from the UK, former Pfizer Vice President and Chief Scientist Worldwide for Respiratory Pharmacology, Drug Development, and one of the leading whistleblowers speaking out about the truth of the COVID pandemic, the lies about how deadly and dangerous the COVID shots are, and warning the world about the tyranny that the World Health Organization is planning and pushing as hard as they can to try and get enough countries to sign it and implement it before anybody realizes the assault that's been unleashed on the freedom for humanity and unleashing control of not only human life, but plant life and animal life and our climate control as well. America and the world, everyone in the sound of my voice needs to stop what you're doing and pay attention to these warnings and start speaking out and plan to just say no to tyranny. Dr. Eden, we were talking before the break about the totally flawed public health responses that went against all principles of sound biology, sound science, sound medical practice. We have never locked down healthy people. We have always focused on protecting those at risk, the elderly, people with other conditions like diabetes and heart disease and hypertension and autoimmune disorders and lung conditions. Those were the vulnerable people, and those were the people that we should have protected and should have considered using prophylactic hydroxychloroquine or ivermectin, both of which were effective at stopping COVID prophylactically as well as early treatment. But the agenda wasn't about proper treatment and saving lives. It was about terror, control, and pushing people into the box canyon of an experimental gene therapy shot that led to death and disability and a lingering downhill course in our health. That's, to me, in, it, in a nutshell, what was done the last three years. And the WHO treaty is setting us up for exactly the same thing to be starting all over again. Yeah, that's definitely... That is definitely my my fear, and it's it's very it's frustrating and frightening um, because 
the you know the WHO meeting is happening well out of sight, uh, at least in my country, you know, United Kingdom. There's no mention of this in the main media at all. And yet, if our countries or if the sufficient number, whatever that number is, sign up to this treaty, it will take effect. Uh, and I think it will be the, well, not I think, it will represent the biggest change in the relationship of the citizen and authorities above you uh, since Magna Carta. Um, you know, worse, worse than anything you could possibly imagine. Uh, so I dismissed the, the notion that it made any sense earlier in the first half by, by saying that if there's a novel uh, health threat uh, the the chap that runs the WHO, who is neither a scientist nor a medic, uh, cannot possibly know what's the best thing to do. And no one in the WHO could because nobody knows. And the, the right thing to do is what, what one has done previously. Countries have their autonomy uh, and they uh, communicate how things are going one to another. And that's the best way. Uh, there's always it should always be a trade off, even if you might save an extra life by giving up all your freedoms to the WHO, should you do that? And the answer is no. There are some things you should not do. And one of them is to hand complete control of, of not just your life, but that of your neighbors, your family, your children, uh, and permanently so. Don't think we're gonna, if we sign up to this, uh, don't think we're gonna be getting it back anytime soon. So, so that's my fear. And I think you hit the nail on the head by reminding me, which I'd forgotten that, uh, digital digital ID is being pushed everywhere. Um, I hope the audience understands or, and maybe has even heard that. Um, you, you fellow citizens out there of the world, you do not need digital ID to live a healthy, happy, legal, law-abiding life. Evidence, you have not needed it at any point for the rest of it prior to, to this uh, this point. If you cross an international border, you will have uh, whipped out your passport almost certainly. Uh, some of these passports are now digitized. You still have the little little uh, paper booklet, but it's digitized. That's a kind of digital ID. But here's the thing. There are about 198 different formats. Every country has its own. The similarities, but they're not the same. Uh, and they're not editable. Uh, they're not accessible on one system in real time. But unfortunately, what they're going to impose is a system that does meet those requirements. It will be common format and it will be a real time thing and it will contain every piece of information about you. You do not need that. They need you to have it. And that's why I echoed Dr. Lee's exhortation to just say no. I have publicly stated I am not going to sign up for digital ID. If I'm told, well, Dr. Eden, it means you can't get on the internet. So be it. If they say you can't access your money in the bank, so be it. I will put my finances in the hands of a proxy, like my accountant. I've already discussed that. Um, I'm not going. I, I encourage you not to take the first step. Why? Because I think it's the first step of building of a machine that I describe as the human slaughterhouse. If you have a digital ID that you have to present before any transaction, buying or selling, or any movement crossing a border, maybe even just moving around in, into a, in, in and out of a shop, and if your spending is controlled by what are called central bank digital currencies, these are real-time assessed transactions. So an algorithm 
will know where you are. And if, for example, you're six miles from home and there is a current ordinance from the WHO that says you may not leave more than one mile from your home, I assure you, without, without human intervention, your, your spending will not work. It will not work. Uh, if they decide you've had a steak last week and we're only going to let you have a bug burger, you'll try and buy the steak and your, your transaction will not go through. Ladies and gentlemen, the technology to do something that sounds like a sci-fi film is unfortunately at hand, but it will only happen if we let it happen. It'll only happen if we sign up to these conditions. So someone trying to take cash away from you, if the executive is trying to take cash away from you, you must know that that's an evil act. There is never any legitimate reason to remove cash from legal tender. If you don't want to use it, don't use it, but let me use it. And if a vendor wants to sell me goods in, in exchange for cash, let him and her do that. I see no harm whatsoever in leaving it in perpetuity, but they're doing their best everywhere uh, to force you to digital payment methods. And the combination of digital ID, which as Dr. Lee reminded us, is also in the gift of the WHO under their One Health initiative. They've already made it clear if this treaty goes through, you'll have to have this WHO authorized common format digital One Health Pass in order to move around between countries. And then you know what? It'll be to move around within your country. Trust me, if, if the technology allows tyranny uh, in the hands of a tiny number of people to control the majority, they will do that. That's what they're going to do. So just say no, please. And the digital control and the lack of ability to move around in your local city and to drive a vehicle, whether it's electric or fossil fuel powered, or even a simple little motorcycle that's mm -hmm. fuel efficient. That's leading towards the next stage of control of movement, which is banning air travel by 2050. Scandinavian countries already have a plan in place to eliminate all air travel, except limited private flights. Mm. Of course, we know who own the private planes. It's the same people trying to control all the rest of us. And I am convinced, as are a number of attorneys and observers of the scene, that the damage to the airline industry that we're seeing from the forced vaccination and the pilot shortage and flight attendant shortage and the sudden death in the cockpit, for example, as well as the, the death and disability of pilots. Disability claims for the major airlines in the U.S. are skyrocketing. So that's leading to flight crew shortages. And I think that's all part of the designed, planned, mm -hmm slow destruction of the airline industry, the ability of people to move freely from one place to another. It's all tied in with the Agenda 2030, Agenda 2050, and the UN control, WHO control, and depopulation agenda in the long run. No, you're, ab you're absolutely right. I mean, there the may be people who've heard part of this story that think, you know, Mike or, or, or Lee, you're, you're making a mountain out of a molehill. It's, you know, you, you're, uh, you're making a conspiracy theory. 
But but here's the point: you can find online in the under the UN website the UN 2030 objectives, 2050 objectives, and under the false grounds that humans are damaging you know, the climate to a point where there'll be an existential problem. These are false grounds, by the way, ladies and gentlemen, there isn't any doubt about it as a scientist. But under those false grounds, they are restricting uh, and putting plans in place to restrict your freedoms to do anything, your freedom to move, your freedom to uh, transact uh, legally and anonymously, your freedom to communicate uh, with other people. Uh, the, the, The internet will be one of these places that will require uh, digital ID to get on to get online. If we if we let them, we must not let them. Uh, I would say the only the only time the the state has, I think, a legitimate right to check who you are is you know, maybe when you move from one country to another, because that may be that may be the diplomatic agreement between the two the two states. And you probably want checks on people coming into your own country. And so I accept being inspected, should we say, on arrival. But I don't think there's a legitimate reason for a state to inspect, you know, halt uh, and, and check the status of any free person uh, at, under any other circumstances. But but this is the tyranny we're walking into. It will be not just frequent, it will be all the time that um, at every moment, if you're if you're online having used your digital ID, which will be like some QR code, see you can imagine how easily people would slip into this. Once you've done that, uh, Big Brother is literally watching you click and type, and how long you you look at an image. All of this stuff is being processed by AI for not good reasons. And even if you think, well, I've nothing to hide. I don't mind being observed. It's you shouldn't accept this. You know, it's an intrusion. Uh, into your 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 freedom as a, as a as a sovereign human being, um, but you know the combination then of these digital ID, the digital money, again just just to say because people don't understand this, they often say, well we've had digital money for years, Mike, and I go, yeah I understand what you're saying, like a debit card, credit card, and so on, and apps on your phone, but ladies and gentlemen, here here's the key difference: when you present a bank card at the supermarket or, or a store, uh, and that's swiped by the assistant. It doesn't, what all it asks is, is this customer good for the transaction? Do they have the funds to pay for this transaction? It's the only question that's asked. Whereas with the central bank digital, in other words, the transaction is not real time. The actual transaction is not real time. So what well, and they don't tell you to, that you can't buy that item. Exactly. So it's, let me just, I must nail nail this home. It's a two-step process. So at the moment you make the purchase of gasoline or your groceries, the, the shop's computer simply asks, is this cardholder good for the hundred bucks of purchases? And if it's yes, it goes through. Uh, and then at the end of the day, over sometime in the next 24 hours, there is a reconciliation and your bank may have therefore owes $100 to the store, but they may owe $10,000 to a supplier. And all of these are reconciled overnight. They're not real time. Um, whereas central bank digital currencies, now let's go back to the gasoline. Uh, you present your means of, of uh, your, to attempt the purchase. Now the computer is asking, is Dr. Mike Eden allowed to buy uh, 10 gallons of, you know, whatever it is, gasoline, 
in this location in this moment? All of those questions are being asked in real time. Let's say someone decides you can only have a fuel ration because of global warming. It's the sort of thing they'd do, isn't it? Um, and then they say, I'm sorry, you've already filled your tank twice this month. No gas. It's that simple. And so if people think they're going to say no, it's like, no, you've already said yes. If you accept a digital ID, I think that one, that one is the, uh, that's the defile. That's the narrowing. If you're going to, you know, like round us up into a canyon, this is the narrowing. Central bank digital currencies, in a sense, we can't stop them doing it. If the Fed now, uh, uh, pro, a pilot program for digital dollar is running, uh, we can't stop them doing it through any act of will. But you can, you can choose not to sign up for digital ID, even if they tell you, you well, you'll need it to access the internet. It's like if enough of us say no, they will have to withdraw it. They'll try something else. But if enough of us do not sign up for it, it doesn't work. And so I'm willing publicly to stand up and say, no matter the cost, I'm not signing up for this because it's, it's one of a small number of components that will produce a, a human slaughterhouse. And I'll just say why. Once you've got a digital ID, uh, if they say, the WHO, for example, that you have to have the latest vaccine, otherwise your digital ID becomes invalid, which is what they'll do, that's like a vaccine passport, right? Then you will have to go and get jabbed or you won't be able to go online uh, or use your money. And so people will go and get jabbed. And I've said repeatedly as a 30 plus year veteran of discovery research of new medicines that um, I, I know what the intent of these mRNA products is. And it's not to provide immunity. It, it was to injure, to maim and kill and I was so sure of that, that I wrote that before any of them were authorized. So if anyone's saying, well, you're Monday morning quarterbacking, no, my experience told me you will get autoimmunity and you will get tissue damage and almost certainly a risk of sterility because of the, the vehicle concentrates in the ovaries. So the design intent, all the elements that they chose, spike protein, mRNA, lipid nanoparticles, all of those things have... Uh, discrete toxicological liabilities that were known about before they put the thing together. So no one can claim it was an accident or mistakes was made. No, uh, this, a small number of people knew exactly what they were doing. And having heard that from me, I hope you will understand now why I'm so agitated that the combination of digital ID, countless central bank digital currencies, and the threat of being, a, as it were, forced vaccination. You know, just coerce you by telling you that you can't live your normal life until you get jabbed because your digital ID will be invalid, be out of date. So if you sign up to any part of this, they're building a human, like a virtual human slaughterhouse. That's what I call it because it's shocking, but I think it's true. Well, it definitely is. And this was what what is stunning just take one simple example that if you look at polyethylene glycol we have known for decades that there are people who are severely allergic to that chemical ingredient which is found in a number of medications as a preservative particularly let's say topical um, creams 
like estradiol vaginal cream or a topical steroid cream. There, there are Benadryl cream. There are lots of them that have PEG in them. And there are people that are quite sensitive to it. And as it turns out, about 70% of the public have antibodies to polyethylene glycol. So the question early on, when we began to get some idea about what was in these COVID shots, the fact that they were using polyethylene glycol in the lipid nanoparticle coating, which is making it fat soluble to drive it across the cell membrane, drive it across the blood brain barrier, which leads to brain damage and brain inflammation, and then drive it across the placental barrier. We had never had any traditional vaccines that were made that way and that could cross the blood-brain barrier and placental barriers. And why would they put that in this experimental COVID shot? And it was just a common sense question to me. And the other common sense question to me very quickly in 2020, by the spring of 2020, when Fauci was announcing that they would have a, a COVID vaccination already by the end of 2020, I'm thinking to myself, what, are you kidding me? Vaccines, traditional vaccines take five to seven years to develop. And then when we began to put together the fact that it was an experimental gene therapy, the FDA regulations required five to 15 years of development. And I'm saying, how could they have one available in less than nine months for a new, supposedly new virus, which turned out not to be, but at the time, that's what they were saying. And how could they have it ready and have any clinical trials? How could they have even done any animal studies? Well, it turns out they didn't because in in the SARS-CoV-1 debacle, all the animals died in the clinical, preclinical studies. So- all the way around, it was just a disaster unfolding, and none of it made any medical sense to me as a practicing physician. And you had the insider pharmaceutical de- drug development knowledge to know how deadly and dangerous this technology was. Yeah, certainly. And um, you, you've again, you've you've hit on some really important points that uh, early on uh, in the the pandemic. I think it's, I'm not sure there was a pandemic personally, but the uh, there was not there was not a public health emergency. Um, that, and we were told that don't worry, we'll have a vaccine. You know, maybe it'll take two years, and then it was like it'll be the end of the year. Uh, as you correctly said, Doctor Lee, uh, the the steps required to create uh, and then evaluate you know, in test tubes and in animals before you start clinical trials, and then to conduct proper clinical trials. Um, that that process uh, itself takes several years, you know, two, three, four years, something like that. And that's, that would be going like mad. You would be doing everything at what we call at risk. You'd making the investments that you would need if you, if you can proceed, even before you know whether you've got the data to support that. And then you've got, we had our colleague, um, Hedley Reese on, on the show several times, and he's a uh, uh, 30 plus years in pharmaceutical manufacturing of complex biological products. And he says that the manufacturing research and development, not to do with clinical, but the, the manufacturing of complex molecules itself is a research and development activity. That alone, he said, would take four years. 
And so this nonsense idea, I found it chilling when I heard on the TV, don't worry, we'll have a vaccine, end of the year. I thought, I don't know what I'll have ready by the end of the year, ladies and gentlemen, but it's not going to be uh, a properly constituted, evaluated, consistently manufactured material. It's not possible. doesn't matter how much you want it. doesn't matter how many dollars you throw at it or how many people you throw at it. The elapsed events, one after another, that you have to follow um, in order to manufacture, say, a billion unit doses of this injected material takes multiple years. And you know what? I've heard that good... Uh, uh, Mr. Gates, uh, who seems to have qualifications and everything these days, uh, but he's talking about 90 days between identification of a new pathogen and having a vaccine. That you, From what I've just told you, you must know that's horrifying because whatever it is they're going to put in those vials and inject in your arms and your children's arms, it's, it's not going to be a vaccine. It's, you know, that you require 10 times more time, maybe 20 so uh, that, I hope that's another real-world real example of how whatever you think has happened, it's not good. And, and, and we have pointed out that by design, these materials are dangerous. If you express, if you make a non-self protein inside your body, your immune system will know that and attack the cell that's making it. And that's why people have experienced, unfortunately, uh, uh, just a, an unbelievably long and varied range of side effects. And it's because I think simply this, that when it's injected, coated in these lipid nanoparticles so it can go anywhere, if in your unlucky uh, Russian roulette shot, it went into the muscle of your heart, then your immune system will start destroying some of the cells of the heart wall and you'll get myocarditis, pericarditis. If you were pregnant and you were injected and it went into your pregnant uterus and started attacking that tissue, which it will do, uh, I think an early an early loss, a miscarriage is not is not would not be surprising. If it got into your brain, you'll get inflammatory damage to the brain. Uh, and all of the things that I've just outlined have occurred, and we know it has. So you, you can't be please don't be in denial about this. This is what happened. I've explained why it happened, and it was deliberate by careful design beforehand. It's a truly evil act, and they're doing it again. That's exactly right, Dr. Eden, and thank you for summing it up so eloquently and powerfully. America and the world, listen to our warnings. The vaccine mandates, the vaccine being required for work and travel and coming and going from one country to another that is the first step of totalitarian control. The digital ID tied to the vaccine passport is the next step. And the central bank digital currency tied to your digital ID, tied to your vaccination status, completes the triad of the three pillars of totalitarian control. Just say no and demand your elected representatives say no to the World Health Organization push to take control of every aspect of our life. This is the Whistleblower Report. We are whistleblowers telling you the truth against the lies and deceptions. Please wake up and listen and heed our warnings. Time is running out and the sands of freedom are rapidly disappearing under the onslaught 
of World Health Organization and UN global elites, global predators, total control of our lives. Do not comply. Join our crusade. We are silent no more. Go to truthforhealth.org. Sign up, donate, help us in the fight. Share our work with your local community. Do not be silent in the face of this evil assault on our lives and our freedom. We will be back again with another Whistleblower Report. 